the great 5th century theologian Augustine once wrote of God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Oh God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And Augustine was commenting on the restlessness of our human hearts. And he was saying that our true purpose, our destiny as those created by God, is to find true rest in God and in God alone. And so I think it would be appropriate here on this seventh and final sermon of our uncreated, created sermon series to look at the seventh day of creation and the rest of God, God's rest, and in so doing, find our rest as well. So if you would, let's look at the text again. Liz read it for us so wonderfully, but I want to read it again for repetition's sake to further impress this upon our hearts. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, the, Lord, the word of the Lord says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and... On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God had labored for six days, creating all that exists by the very word of God. And on the seventh day, we have what really is the crown jewel of creation, and that is the rest of God. God's rest. He created everything, the earth and the sky, the sea and the dry land, the animals and the galaxies, the trees and the mountains. And the Lord God, just a day before, had already created man from the dust of the ground, breathing into his nostrils the very breath of life, therefore, thereby giving him life. And now we read at really the climax and almost like the apex of creation, God does what? God rests. God has finished the work that he has begun. Now, we all know people who begin something and usually don't bring it to completion. They begin a project and then the project sits. They start on something new and they get halfway in or two thirds of the way in and then uh, they kind of lose steam, lose interest and uh, and then it it just kind of hangs there for a while, and I see many of you smiling, and so maybe you know that that's you, like, yep, I'm the one who doesn't finish what I start, or maybe you're elbowing someone sitting next to you because you know it's actually them, they're the one who doesn't finish what they start, but that's not the case with God. Here, the work that God began to do, God brings to completion. R.C. Sproul once wrote, God 
perfectly executed his will in creation. Finished it. It was done. And God rested. Now, when we say that God rested, I think it's helpful for us to be biblically precise. Look again at chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Notice the connection between God's rest and his work in creation, the specific work. God finished the work of creation, which he had been doing, and then he rested from that work. Now, I emphasize the connection between God resting from a specific work in creation for two reasons. First, because you'll notice that there is no evening or morning the seventh day. Meaning that God's creating work, his rest now from his creation continues even today. God continues to rest from his work that he accomplished in creation. He's not continuing to speak things into existence the same way he spoke creation into existence here in the first six days. The other reason I stress God resting from the specific work of creation is because we know that God, even today, is still at work. I don't know when the last time was you thought about it, but God is working even now. In fact, Jesus would say it like this in John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. We worship and serve a working God. So if the Father is working and the Son is working, then how is it that they rested? And the answer is that God rested from his creating work. God does not rest from his providential care, his sovereign work over creation. We know that God the Son is always at work upholding the universe by the word of his power. God is not unengaged or uninvolved or unaware of the happenings in creation, but rather our God is involved in listening and directing and accomplishing his purpose. He is working. We know that the Son is working, interceding at the Father's right hand for us who belong to Jesus Christ. And yet, as we see so clear here in Genesis chapter 2, God's work of creation is done. In fact, the word rest here literally means to cease. It means that his work of creation is complete. In fact, the Hebrew word, if you... Remember that the book of Genesis was written originally in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for rest here is, is, forms the noun of Sabbath. So that's kind of where we get Sabbath from, because it's related to this Hebrew word for rest, and it carries the sense of stopping or ceasing. And so, verse 3, God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. 
because on it God had rested from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. God did not bless the seventh day because it had some intrinsic value above the other days. God blessed the seventh day because he completed his work of creation and he rested. He set aside the day. That's really what the word holy means. It means set apart or set aside. And it's set aside for God. Now, to rightly understand the seventh day and to rightly apply what it means to rest, I think it's helpful for us, before we get into some of the application, it might be helpful for us to kind of trace this theme of Sabbath and Sabbath rest from the Old Testament, through the Old Testament, in moving into the New Testament. So, to do that, I want to kind of organize the rest of our time together into three categories. So we're going to look at three categories and then three applications. First, the three categories, we're going to look at the Sabbath before the Old Covenant, and we're going to look at the Sabbath under the Old Covenant, and then finally, the Sabbath under the New Covenant. So the Sabbath before the Old Covenant, which is where we're at here in Genesis chapter 2, no covenant yet, Mosaic covenant yet. Then we're going to look at the Sabbath under the Old Covenant, and then the Sabbath under the New Covenant, and then we'll get to three application points after that. First, let's begin with Sabbath before the Old Covenant, which is essentially what we've been looking at already. We see that God rests. He Sabbathed from his work of creation. And as I mentioned, the Sabbath, or the seventh day, is the only day where we're not told that there was evening and there was morning, which means this seventh day of rest continues. It continued as Adam and Eve found their identity and their purpose and their security in God himself. Now obviously, as Pastor Nick Rogers so helpfully pointed out for us last week, this relationship with God was fractured by sin, by the rebellion of Adam and Eve. This rest found in God was broken. And yet, even within Genesis chapter 3, there is the hope of renewed rest in God. As he promises to send the one who would come and who would destroy the devil and succeed where Adam failed. I think it's interesting for us to note here, Sabbath before the old covenant, that Adam is never commanded to keep the Sabbath. God doesn't tell Adam, keep the Sabbath or take a day of rest every seventh day. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't rest. We'll get to that a little bit later. In fact, as Jake LaCroix pointed out as I was working on this message, he said, you could argue that the original creation mandate to fill the earth and subdue it, which we looked at a few weeks ago, cannot be achieved apart from healthy rhythms of creaturely rest. But it's good to notice that we have no record of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, keeping the Sabbath. In fact, there is zero record of Sabbath observance until after Israel has been rescued out of Egypt when God provides manna for his people in the wilderness and he tells them to gather twice as much on the sixth day that they might observe a Sabbath day for the Lord on the seventh day. So at this point, Before the Old Covenant, as a friend 
of mine wrote, we see that God's rest in the creation story is a picture of God coming into covenant relationship or covenant fellowship with his people. That's what this Sabbath rest is a picture of. God's saying that this is good and it is done and it is finished. And as we know, sin disrupts this fellowship, which then introduces this need for renewed rest through a new covenant, which is where we'll head here in a minute. That's Sabbath before the old covenant. Now, what about Sabbath under the old covenant? You might remember after God rescued his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt, he brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and there at the foot of Mount Sinai, God gave to them, through his spokesman Moses, the law. And we know, especially from Paul's writings later on, really throughout the New Testament, that the law was designed to reveal God's holiness The law was designed to also reveal humanity's sin and inability to to achieve the perfection that God requires. And the law was given ultimately to reveal the need for God's people to have a substitutionary sacrifice, which is why God commanded his people to bring animals to be slaughtered, for blood to be shed day after day after day after day, to be a bloody and graphic reminder of the need that God's people had every single moment for a substitutionary sacrifice, for blood to be shed on their behalf. We also know that the law functioned, as Paul reminds us, as a guardian. It functioned as guardrails for the people to live together and to live with God until the Messiah arrived. In fact, in what's called the Mosaic Law, not because Moses created it, but because Moses received it from God and passed it on to the people, in the Mosaic Law, God laid out requirements for his people to keep the Sabbath. Israel was commanded to keep the Sabbath in in following the work-rest pattern of God. God had modeled it in creation, and they were to keep it. Even as they remembered God's rescue out of Egypt and the deliverance that he gave to them. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is so clear about this. Interestingly, even under the old covenant, the Sabbath command required God's people to stop working, but it did not require God's people to worship. Now they were encouraged to worship and I think We could infer even from why God gave them the Sabbath that they should worship, but that wasn't a a part of the law. The law was that they stop working. It's clear, as author author Andy Nacelli points out, that the essence of the Sabbath command then was not to worship, but to rest. At the same time, Observing the Sabbath, the people of God observing the Sabbath, it was a call to imitate the pattern of their king, their creator, their God. So every time the Sabbath rolled around and the faithful people of God rested, it was a confession of God's lordship, their devotion to him, that God had the right to order their lives and their week and their rhythms and their priorities and their work-life balance. 
So as they, over and over again, the people of God under the old covenant, as they celebrated and, and observed the Sabbath, they were looking backwards to the covenant fellowship that God and humanity had enjoyed before the fall, and they looked forward to the time when God would form a new covenant and create a new covenant with his people, and they would find their ultimate rest in him through the Messiah that he promised. So look back. We remember what it was like before, before sin, when, when the people of God dwelt in perfect harmony and relationship with God, and we look ahead to that day to come when that harmony will be restored through the Messiah that God will provide. Exodus 31 tells us that the Sabbath was a sign of the old covenant. This is important because a covenant's sign lasts only as long as the covenant. It's not binding on those who are not under covenant. So, what does all of this then mean for those of us today? For Christians who aren't under the old covenant, but are under the new covenant which is what we celebrate every time we take the Lord's Supper, isn't it? We remember the words of Jesus that the cup represents the new covenant in the very blood of Christ. And we are united to God in that covenant, the new covenant through the finished work of Jesus. So for those of us who are united to God through Jesus, what does the new covenant have to do with the Sabbath? And what does that mean for us today? This brings us to our third category, which is the Sabbath under the new covenant. Now, before we get into the specifics of what the Sabbath means for us today, let me just add here a bit of a caveat perhaps, that this is an area where faithful Christians disagree. This is an area where faithful Christians disagree. This is a third tier issue here at CCF. Not meaning that it's it's unimportant or that it doesn't matter. It does matter and it is important. But when I say it's a third tier issue here, what we say is that it doesn't divide the local church. Faithful, godly, Jesus-loving, born-again brothers and sisters in Christ have varying viewpoints on how the Sabbath applies exactly for us today. So even as I preach this morning, I know that some of you will likely walk away thinking that what I articulate doesn't stress the importance of the Sabbath day enough. You'll be like, yeah, Eric really missed it today. And others of you will walk away thinking that my explanation or interpretation or emphasis of the Sabbath as a day is, is too much on a day and not enough on Christ. In short, again, godly, evangelical, even reformed Christians like us have varying points of view on the exact application of the Sabbath today, which ought to fuel gracious attitudes among the people of God for one another. With that said, how should we understand the Sabbath today as new covenant Christians? And let me offer three now points of application, three statements that I think will be helpful, and they're ranked in order. Most of the time when I preach, it's not ranked in order of importance. Here, I think it's ranked in order of importance. First, the Sabbath is a shadow. Christ 
is the substance. The Sabbath is a shadow. Christ is the substance. So the Sabbath command in the Old Covenant was rooted, as we've seen, in the creation rhythm of God. The Sabbath was God's sacred, ordained day in the weekly cycle. In fact, even as Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath, in other words, was God's gift to his people for their good, for their rest, for them to remember that their existence and their survival was not ultimately a product of their own efforts and work, but of the God who provided for and sustained them. And then Jesus arrives. God the Son Jesus Christ is born into our world and he takes on flesh and he becomes human and he lives a sinless life. And in and through his perfect life and his substitutionary death and his glorious resurrection, he fulfills the law and the prophets and ushers in the new covenant. You might remember that even throughout Jesus' ministry, so many of his miracles were actually on the Sabbath. And every time Jesus healed someone, every time Jesus restored someone, he he pointed back in those actions, he was pointing back to the original creation before the fall when humanity had perfect fellowship with God. And during his ministry, he made it clear, like in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's healing, pointing back to God's original design for the Sabbath to be a reminder of God's covenant with his people, his harmony, his fellowship before sin entered the picture. And every time he healed, he was also pointing ahead to the new creation to come when God will recreate the heavens and the earth and sin and suffering will be no more and all will be as it should be and the people of God will forever live with him. And in this very healing, ministering work, Jesus was calling to the people, showing them that in him they would find true rest. Which is why he said in Matthew chapter 11, what we read earlier to begin our time of worship this morning, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. You will find rest. Sabbath. You will find a ceasing from your work to try to earn or merit or deserve your salvation, your right standing, your union and peace with God. I will give that to you. Come to me and you will find fellowship with your creator. You will find your Sabbath rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is And therefore, Jesus is the very rest which God promised. The rest of which the Sabbath was a foreshadowing. This rest, then, in God, given to all who trust in Christ, becomes part of the already, not yet, of the Christian life. 
Again, one author writes, right now God's people are under the new covenant and enjoy a quality of rest in God that those under the old covenant did not enjoy. And that rest that we enjoy now is just a foretaste of the ultimate rest that we will enjoy in the new heaven and the new earth. You see, friends, because of the work of Jesus Christ, Christians are no longer members of the old covenant but of the new And since the Mosaic law was part of the old covenant, it follows that Christians are no longer under the law, which means that Christians are no longer bound by the Sabbath command as Israel was. This is primarily because the Sabbath is no longer a day, but the Sabbath is a person. It's Jesus. It's why the Apostle Paul would write, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is why we sang this morning, it is done. It is finished. No more debt I owe. Paid in full. All sufficient merit, not my own. Because just a few stanzas before, we had sung about the law could never save us. Our lawlessness had won. Jesus comes. He fulfills the law. Perfect obedience so that those of us today, even those of us today in this room, who are under the just punishment of God for our sin and rebellion against God, might by faith turn and trust in Jesus Christ as our substitute and be not only forgiven, but have the righteousness of Jesus applied to our account, be made new, be washed and cleaned and adopted as God's own. Are you trusting in Jesus today for your Sabbath rest? Are you striving? If I go to church enough, if I just do enough right things, if I avoid all the wrong things, the really bad things, if I just know enough, if I serve enough, if I try to love people enough, I'm sure God will accept me. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And the good news this morning is that that same Jesus calls to us and says, Come to me, all you who labor, who work and strive and grit your teeth and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you the salvation that you so desperately need. John Piper writes, so the final eternal blood-bought Sabbath rest has begun. And we enter into it when we cease from our works and trust Christ and his finished work for us on the cross. This is the great and final meaning of the Sabbath. Christ has become our rest, our Sabbath. That's first and most important. So then, does this mean that the Sabbath as a day is unimportant? 
Which brings us to our second application point. Which is that scripture teaches the importance of setting aside regular and specific time for the Lord. Scripture teaches us and demonstrates and patterns to us the importance of setting aside regular and specific time for our Lord. We see the first Christians doing this very thing. Immediately after Jesus' ascension back to the Father, what do they do? They begin meeting together. In fact, they begin doing so on the first day of the week, which is a pattern that the church has followed now for 2,000 years, gathering together on the first day of the week as new covenant Christians in light of the fact that we are no longer under the old covenant, but we are under the new covenant. How? Why? Because Jesus has died and has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of our resurrection as well. And he was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. So Christians gather in light of this on the first day of the week. It's our, it's our Independence Day, so to speak. It's our 4th of July day. We gather together weekly on the first day and we remember that our freedom in Jesus Christ, our salvation was purchased through the death of another. Holy begotten Son of God. And so the Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, our spiritual ancestors throughout the history of the church, worship together on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day. This is what the New Testament church did. That's why we call it the Lord's Day. There's, Sunday isn't a new Sabbath. It's not a new law that we're required to keep. There's nothing in the New Testament to support that. Christians are no longer obligated to keep a certain day as a Sabbath because we're not under the law of Moses. In fact, again, just another passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Which is the answer, Paul? Paul says, well, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. One who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. At the same time, while we are called not to follow the law of days, at the same time, I think it would be wise for us, given the pattern of creation and the, the pattern that we see of the church and the people of God regularly gathering, gathering together weekly, I think it would be important for us to regularly set aside regular and specific time to rest as we reflect on God and the gospel and our great Savior who has given us rest as we gather together with the people of God to do so. In fact, God's Rhythm throughout the scriptures demonstrates that while we are not bound by any command to observe a specific day of rest and worship, it is good for us to see the consistent pattern in the Bible of regular times of worship and make that a pattern for our own lives as well. To not forsake gathering together as a church for worship as Hebrews teaches us. It's a time to have our thoughts and our priorities realigned, which we need in fact, we need that regularly because our hearts are so prone to wander, aren't they? In fact, on September 19th, 
1559, almost 500 years ago, while preaching this very text, John Calvin said, so why did he, God, sanctify the seventh day? It was to gather us all together so that we might not be distracted. For it takes little to misdirect our senses, which are already predisposed to self-interest. Upon the arrival of the slightest inconvenience, we are harried from all sides. We hurry and flurry about, and God is forgotten. He's writing even before social media, 24-hour news, right? (laughs) Consequently, because we are so weak and fragile and fickle, God has given us a day to help sustain ourselves for the remainder of the week. If we did not have a particular day, our mind would drift idly and the day would be used in frivolous activity and the creator would be disregarded all the time. But since we have a day, it is as if God, seeing us going in all directions, says to us, come now, stop. Listen to me so that he might speak to us. And this is not law. This is freedom in Christ Follow the pattern of scripture to set aside a time to regularly gather together with the people of God in person unless providence prohibits it. To sit under the preaching and the teaching and the singing of the word together as a church that we might be shaped and formed. God might say, come now, stop. Listen to me. And so the Sabbath is a get-to time, a time of rest, however we practice that. It's a time not for what can't be done, but what gets to be done. So I would encourage you, on your own, if you live alone or in your family, to consider how and when you devote time to focus your attention on God in a special way. And I would just suggest, this is just merely a suggestion for you to consider, that except where you think obedience to God requires otherwise and your conscience is bound otherwise, let that day of rest and Godward focus be perhaps on the first day of the week as a witness to the world that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your Sabbath and the Lord of your life. Establish a time when, with the people of God, you gather in obedience to the word and joyful, humble gratitude and faith as we rest together in Christ's finished work, which is what we do when we gather together. It's like an Independence Day parade. We celebrate our great Savior and our new identity in him and the great and glorious day to come when he returns. Finally, a third statement of application for us today, living under the new covenant. We are created for patterns of work and rest. Work and rest. Work and rest. So while the old covenant laws are not binding because they have been fulfilled in Christ, they are nonetheless not arbitrary. And God, just, God didn't arbitrarily give Old Covenant laws, Mosaic laws to his people. It wasn't just pulling them out like, yeah, this, is, this might be fun. Let's try this. <laughs> Everything God does, he does with intentionality and purpose and unending wisdom. And so if God rightly recognized that even just as created physical humans, 
It was good for us to have rhythms of work and rest and not just work, 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 work. Even just physically. It's helpful for us to remember the same. On the seventh day, God rested, setting for us who are made in his image and example. Because our our creatureliness means that we have to rest, don't we? Like, what happens when we don't rest? We get grouchy. We get tired. We get sick. We get run down. Like, you can see it in someone's face, right? That's why maybe even this morning you said to someone, perhaps, maybe not, hopefully not, when they came in, like, you look tired today. Maybe you've had someone tell you that. We probably have all had that experience. You go to work, you go to class, and someone's like, you look really tired today. Like, thanks. You look nice, too. (laughs) Like, it shows. Why? Why? Why did God design us that way? Why did God design us to need rest? He could have just as easily designed us to not need rest at all. And in fact, some of us try to live that way. But God designed us to be regularly reminded at least every 12 or 16 or 18 hours that we are not God, that we are not self-sufficient, that we need a significant portion of our lives to be in rest when we are in no control over what we're accomplishing, or what's happening at work, or what's going on with our children. And if we're not taking that, our bodies will force us into that kind of rest. God designed it that way for our good so that our rest, even our rest, can be worshipful. As we remember that God completed his good work in creation and that same God who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus as we rest in him and, yes, spend a portion of our lives even physically resting. It's a daily reminder that we are not God and that we desperately need God. It's a reminder of his promises to sustain us and keep us. It's a reminder that our God who rested calls us to do the same. Let's pray.